That's the gospel. Amen. You know, what that wonderful anthem did is what every good sermon should do. Every good sermon should present, you know, the problem. And then the answer. Praise the Lord. And uh, let me tell you what, John's sermon did that. Uh, and uh, what, a, what a blessing it's been to walk through this sermon and uh, to, to hear the scathing commentary of, of Holy Spirit through John the Baptist for, for folks who have, uh, who have made their religion, who have made them, who have made it all about themselves and made it all about their arrogance and their pride. And, and said that it was about following God. And uh, that's, where, that's where the John the Baptist sermon is. That's the, the front of that sermon is this scathing rebuke. And it's easy for us to say, well, go get them. Preach on John the Baptist. I'm against it. Go get them. Go get those sinners. And, uh, you know, and it's hard for us to see that we are sometimes, a lot of times, the ones that John the Baptist is speaking to. When we make it, when we make it anything, we make our salvation, our hope, our faith in anything other than God Almighty and His Son Jesus Christ, that's where we we find ourselves in the same boat. So uh, that's what the beginning of the sermon is all about. Brother Fred gave you that um, sort of uh, recap. And then we find ourselves in the last three verses where John the Baptist talks about the results, the impending judgment of living that life, of, of, of having that attitude. He, he says in, in, you know, in, in verse 10, look, there's an axe already laid at the trees. And Jesus is the one holding it, the axe. There's an axe laid at the trees. The judgment is set for this nation of Israel. That's set. The axe is there. There's nothing that can be done. And just in a few decades after this sermon, we find that Israel was just laid to its knees. Not a a single stone standing on top of another. Where the, uh, uh, that, that formed the temple. It was gone. And Israel's never been the same. And that was to come. But in, <clears throat> there are definite consequences in, in our choices. And we see that every day. And there are definite consequences for us as individuals. And there are absolute definite consequences for us as a nation. And those things are set... But then John gives us hope and consolation in verse 11. He says, now look, you know, I, I am, the baptism I am preaching is one of repentance. It's, it's, it's one to say, look, as individuals, although our fate is set as a nation, as individuals, we can, there's still hope for us. There's consolation for us if we repent. If we bear the fruit of repentance, if we, if we are honest 
with our part in being a brood of, a brood of vipers. Of being those who have made it all about us. If we will do that, if we will repent individually, then there's hope for us. And John is saying, let me be clear. My baptism is about that. It's about repenting. It's about humbling yourself. About being poor in spirit. About mourning our, our eternal state because of our choices. I know this is not popular in our nation. Because we, we live in a culture where it's everyone else's fault. And, and what's valued is to be the first one to point out somebody else's fault. And then to cancel them. This virtue, virtue sort of signaling sort of place that we, 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 that that's what we value. And there's no value placed on, you know what, I was wrong. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's repentance. That's the bearing the fruit of repentance. And even though in some places it might be dangerous to do so, this is what we are called to do. Who we're called to be. John is saying, look, let me be clear. My baptism is, is repentance. But there's one who's coming after me. He's talking about Jesus, whose baptism, whose, whose sandals I'm unable to even hold, to untie or carry, much less wear. Forget about it. His, Jesus, that guy's coming. Now he's going to baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. It's Jesus who will bring your salvation. He's coming. That one. That one. If you will bear the fruit of repentance, then His baptism will save you. And that's verse 11. Then we pick it up in verse 12. Let's look at verse 12 again. His winnowing fork, talking about Jesus, His winnowing fork is in His hand. Alright? And He will clear His threshing floor. And then he'll gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Wow. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. How it's been so clearly presented through our worship this morning. You, know, you are our mighty fortress. Our hope is in You. It is right that we stand with our hands lifted up to You and praising You. It's right. Thank You for this Gospel. Now I pray, Holy Spirit, that You will draw Yours to Yourself today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in this last verse of John the Baptist's sermon, I have two thoughts I'd like to share with you today. If you have that sermon notes and more that Brother Fred, Pastor Fred talked about, you can follow along there and fill in the blanks, okay? Uh, but here we go. Here are our two thoughts. Thought one, everyone is subject to Jesus' sifting. 
everyone. Jesus is the sifter. And everyone is subject to this. Alright, let me, let me explain this verse. You know, this winnowing, you know, the sifting or the winnowing is, a, is symbolic. Alright? Uh, let me explain this in an agricultural context. When the, when the wheat was harvested, it would be brought to a threshing floor. And these threshing floors were up on a hill. Because up on the hills where the wind blew really, really well. Alright? And then they'd take a stone, and they'd either use an, an animal or, or human power, and they'd roll the stone over the grain, the stalks, and the, the, the grain would be separated from what was, not use, what was usable was separated from what was not usable as far as food production. Okay? And then somebody would come, the farmer or the sifter would come with a winnowing fork. All right, I'm doing this because I, I feel like I need to be holding one while I'm talking about it. But it's, it looks sort of like a pitchfork with just with fewer tongs on the fork. All right? And the farmer would stick that into the mess, whatever, the, the mix, all right? Throw it in the air. And what was usable would fall back to the floor of the threshing place, and the chaff would be blown away. They'd throw it up in the wind. The bad would be blown away. The good would fall to the floor. At the end of the process, what was on the floor was what was good to keep. What was not was thrown into the fire and burned. It was useless to the farmer. This sifting or winnowing symbolism Reminds me, should remind us of three things. Jesus is, is going to sift us, right? Number one, there are two kinds of people. There are only two kinds of people. There's only two. There are those who love God and follow Him. And there are those who don't. Now, we, we can have all kinds of anthropo, anthropology, anthropology kind of discussions. See, I can't even say the word. Anthropological. How about that? There we go. Discussions about all kinds of different people groups and tribes and nations and languages and how we group together and blah, blah, blah. But in God's economy, the one who created us all, there are two kinds of people. That's it. Those who love Him and follow Him and those who don't. Number two, Jesus is going to sort these people into two groups. That's it. There are two kinds of people and they're going to be sorted into two groups. And there's a process that he does that. And these two groups have very different destinations. This is what we can learn from this sifting, this winnowing, if you will. So how does this happen? What determines? Uh, what, 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 what is this? What determines this process? Let's, let's first hear what Jesus says about His own Winnowing, how he describes it. Look with me in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 through 30. 
he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who, st- who sold a good seed, who sowed good seed in his field. Okay? <clears throat> but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. When the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master in the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have these weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Well, then do you want us to go and gather them up? And, and, and the owner said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then Jesus goes on to say in verse 41 through 43, he says this The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and know them, I'm sorry, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. In the kingdom of their Father. And he who has ears, let him hear. Then Jesus talks about it again in Matthew chapter 25 in, 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 in different terms. He says this in verse 31 and 32. When the Son of Man comes and in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne as a And as a shepherd separates the sheep, I'm sorry, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So how does this happen? How does Jesus do this? What determines if we're wheat or chaff? What determines if we are wheat or tares? That's another word for weeds. The tares. A tare was a plant, a weed, useless plant. And as it grew, it looked from a distance like wheat. It's hard to tell one from the other. You can only tell at the harvest. So why? The farmer waited to the harvest. How can you tell if you're a sheep or a goat? Here's the answer. We are winnowed by Jesus, by our response to Him. It's plain and simple. We are winnowed by Jesus, thrown into the air. We're, and that winnowing process is, happens through our response to Him. Let me explain. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and, every, and He created a, pl- a man and woman and all the animals, and they lived together in harmony. No one killing anything, no one dying. The grass was like meat in a place called the Garden of Eden. 
in perfect harmony with God in that place. God, the Bible says that God would walk with Adam in the coolness of the evening. Wow. And something happened. And man chose to place himself where God should have been. And there was the fall. And our relationship was broken. You see, God determines the terms of our relationship with Him. We don't. And when we think we can determine the terms of our relationship with Him, there is a fall. And there's brokenness. We, all of us, Everyone, no one excluded, have chosen to put ourselves in the place of God. And what this does is cause chaos. You want to know what's wrong with our country? We, the individuals in this country, all of us, don't point your finger to some political party or some candidate or some elected official we, every single one of us, have chosen to place God, ourselves in the place where God should be. And that produces chaos. It produces confusion. And we get what we ask for. We get what we choose. The result of this confusion is brokenness. The, revolt, the result of this communion, confusion is ultimately it's, it's, the result of this choice is confusion and brokenness and ultimately, it's punishment and death. We were never meant to die. Never meant to be in, a, in an unbroken... We were never meant to be in a broken relationship with God. We were created to be in perfect harmony. And then we chose what we chose. You know, it's easy to sit back and say, dang it, Adam, you had one rule. It would have happened a lot sooner if it had been Derek and Eve. So, the results of this choice, our choice, your choice, confusion, brokenness, punishment, and death. Here's the good news. But God, in His grace, in His mercy, and in His justice, provided His Son. The only one who could take on the sin of the, of the world, of all who ever lived, who are living now and will ever live. The only one, the only perfect one that could produce a once and for all payment for the, for the giant, enormous debt that we've run up. Even bigger than our nation's debt. The only one but God. The only one who could pay that debt. The only one who could receive the punishment 
that we deserved in God's justice. See, that sin had to be punished because God is righteous. And only Jesus could do all of that. Only that. Only Jesus could do that. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He came into His ministry in that same river where John the Baptist was baptizing. And for three years He walked all over that beautiful land. He taught us how to live. He taught like no one had ever heard before. He blew people's minds. Enormous crowds came to hear Him. The life-changing truth of His Gospel, of His good news, people were healed. The blind were made to see. The deaf could hear. The mute could speak again. Those who couldn't walk, who could never walk, never had the ability of walk, could in a snap of the fingers, the spoken word of Jesus Christ could rise up and take your mat. Go present yourself to the priest. Those who were unclean were made clean again. Those who were unholy were made holy. Lives were changed. Because of the life of this one man. And it is that death on the cross that happened. That we'll be celebrating. We'll be celebrating the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Just a few short weeks at Easter. The most monumental event ever in the history of anything but God, in spite of our choice to, to, be, to live in chaos, He chose us. And He chose His Son to take on His shoulders what He didn't do and what He didn't deserve. And the result of that is salvation. The result of that is redemption. The result of that is adoption. And that process continues through discipleship. It's not a one-time thing where you get your card punched and then whew, now I can go back to just doing. There's this process of discipleship that we must enter in for the rest of our lives as we learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. Salvation, redemption, and adoption. The result of choosing Jesus. Or, you can choose to reject God. Or you can choose to try to be in relationship with God on your terms. The results of that is chaos, brokenness, judgment, and punishment. So that's my first thought. All of us are subject to Jesus sifting. 
Thought number two is this. After the sifting, there are only two possible destinations. You know, we talked about that. The sifting process that happens. And what's left on the threshing floor is what's usable. What's good. What's valuable. And what's not, it's put into bundles and raked to the side and thrown into fire. It's not even good. They don't even take the stuff to build a fire in their homes to cook with or warm themselves. They just burn it. So that useless. There are two destinations. First destination is into the barn. How many of you grew up on a farm? Or around a farm? Had a barn? Yeah. Barns are magical places. You know, I didn't grow up on one, but I had one later in life. And it's this magical place where you keep all kinds of tinkering kind of stuff and your tractor and your some people keep their chickens in there. I wouldn't. I, I just t- let me tell you that I learned this from my experience of having a barn. Don't ever have your pigs get their shots in a metal barn. You'll lose your hearing. Learn that. Anyway, that had nothing to do with this sermon, but it's pretty fun. Into the barn. Let's just talk, break down the Greek right here in this little area. It's a very picturesque way of saying the word barn here. It's a compound word in the Greek. And it's apotheke. Apotheke. And it comes from to put or to put away from. Alright? It describes in Greek... The place where you put away what is valuable to you for safekeeping. For the farmer, the treasure was the wheat. And he wanted to keep it safe. And so the wheat and the grain were taken to the barn. Can't get you, you know, some... Get out of your mind if you're raised on a farm, if you had a barn, the nasty kind of dirty place that a barn might be. This is a place where treasure is kept. And it was safe. A place where your treasure could go, where it was safe and protected. Jesus, or what John is saying here about Jesus, is that that wheat, that the grain, the usable treasure that is left on the floor of the threshing floor, it is going to be taken to a place that where treasure goes, that's safe, where it can be kept and protected. And Jesus talks about this place. Or the well, Jesus does, but the Bible talks about this place. In Psalm 23, verse 6. Look what the psalmist says here. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look at John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus. Believe in God, believe also in me. Listen, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to, uh, to Myself that where I am, you may be also. Safe place. Protected place. Where treasure is. Where treasure is kept. And look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. Now listen to this. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God's treasure will be taken to a place where it can be kept and kept safe forever. And there's no more pain and no more sorrow, for we will be with the One who created us, and we will be with the One who saved us. Forever! We'll never exhaust our ability to praise Him. We'll sing to Him. We'll bow before Him. We'll worship Him day and night. We'll out-sing the cherubim. We'll out-sing the seraphim. Because we will be in the presence of the One. The One who made it all. And the One who saved us. Praise God. It's a real place. And there's another place. There's another place. What is sifted will either go into the barn or it will go into the fire. This fire symbolic of a real place and a real judgment. Look at Psalm chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. Look at this. The Lord tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and, and the scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. That doesn't sound good. Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus talks about this place. He says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, this place that Jesus refers to here in the Scripture is called Gehenna. Gehenna was a real place. It was a deep valley where pagan, wor and where pagan worship occurred, where people literally burned their children to worship a pagan god. The nation of Israel thought it to be so detestable it was worth it was worthless except only to be a place where fire burned day and night where they burned their trash. This is where the bodies of criminals were taken to be disposed of and burned. 
This was a nasty, horrible place. And, and the smells must have been ghastly. Awful place. If you weren't condemned to death, but almost, you were condemned to be the ones who kept the fires going. It was a horrible place. And Jesus said, this is the kind of place reserved for those who choose themselves. Matthew 25, verse 41. This, Jesus goes on to talk about what happens to the goats. You know, He's talking about separating the people into group, two groups, either sheep or goats. And this is what He says happens to those who are the goats. Verse 41. Then they will say to those on His left, and He will say to those on His left, these are the ones He's called goats, Depart from Me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In 2 Thessalonians, it talks about how Jesus returns in His return and how judgment is a part of His returning. Look at verse 8 and 9 in, verse, in chapter 1. It says, inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And finally, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 and verse 15, the Bible talks about the final destination for Satan, for his demons, and for unbelievers. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever. Verse 15, And if anyone's name was not found written, in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Look, we, the Bible makes it clear. There are two choices. You can choose to follow God and love Him. Or not. But there will be a sifting. Jesus Himself will sift us into two groups. There's only two groups. In that, in that Scripture, in, in Matthew, John the Baptist says, the threshing floor will be cleared. There's nothing left there. There's not a third option. You either are taken into the barn and kept and protected and valued and treasured, or you're thrown into the fire. That is the choice today. We're all facing that fire. All of us are facing either a refiner's fire that makes us more like Jesus or judgment. We're facing that on earth right now and in eternity. So my invitation today is this. Which will you choose? This is the invitation. Which will you choose? If you choose to 
Love God and follow Him. And, and you, this is maybe the first time you've heard it like this. Maybe you're like, okay, I want to do that. I, but how? How do I do that? What is that? Do I just say, do I just write a note to God? I choose you. How do I do that? That's a great start. Let me tell you what that involves. It involves this. First, you admit that you are one of those who've chosen yourself over God. When you may say, I never have chosen myself. I've always chosen others. You know, I I make my kids, my kids are more important than anything. Well, that's your choice. My spouse is more important than anything. Well, there's your choice. You've chosen that. You've not chosen to make God more than anything, important than anything. And when you do that, when you boil all that down, even the, the person outside of Christ who has the worst self-esteem, if you boil it all down, in the bottom of the pot, what's left is selfishness. Selfishness. The root of all sin. Pride and arrogance. That says, I want it my way. And not God's. I, I, don't, I choose to believe that either I don't need that or I'm not good enough for it. So do you admit that I'm in, I'm in that spot? I've admitted that. And then you believe that Jesus is who He said He is and He did what He said He did. And He's coming again. You believe that. And then you trust your... God with your life. You just say, okay, God, I admit that's me. I, tr- I believe in you. And here is my life such that it is. It's yours. Take it and do with it as you please. I want you. That's what choosing God is. It starts there. And then you enter in the process of becoming a lifelong disciple. I'm inviting you to come be a part of that. I'm inviting you to come forward. If that's your prayer today, I want that. If you're online, please let us know. Email us. Talk to us. Let us know how we can help you and tell you what's next in that process. Or if you're here today, come forward. In the balcony, on the floor, in our choir, whomever, come Pray this for our nation, believers. Pray this for your neighbors. Pray this for your friends and family. I mean, and pray for our nation's leaders. And I don't just mean, Lord, I pray that a bus hits them. I mean, pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray for them. Let's stand together. Pastor Fed's going to.